State Representative Kristen Phillips-Hill recently won a state Senate primary race in York County. A former staffer for New Jersey Democrat and United States Senator Frank Lautenberg, Kristen has become a champion for conservative policies in Harrisburg. I hope you enjoy our conversation. Welcome to Brews and Views. I'm Matt Briette, President and CEO of Commonwealth Partners Chamber of Entrepreneurs. I am at Round the Clock Diner in York and sitting down with uh, Representative Kristen Phillips-Hill. Uh, Kristen, uh, thanks for inviting me to join you here at this great diner. It's one that I've seen, you know, driving up 83, but have never stopped in. So uh, always a first on Brews and Views. Well, we're really glad to have you in York. This is kind of an iconic yeah. uh, diner here in... 24-hour. Uh, it is 24-hour, and it's always got great coffee brewing and um, wonderful, hearty York County food. Now, is, is this in your district, your, your house district? This is not in my house okay. district. It's not in the 93rd, um, but it is in the 28th senatorial district. Okay, so it would be uh, should you uh, win in November, and uh, b- congratulations on Thank your you. uh, primary victory. I know it was a contested primary, um, uh, and you do have a candidate uh, in the Democratic Party in the fall. We'll right. get to we'll get to that, um, but uh, we first have to start in uh, Camden, New Jersey, uh, right across the river. Um, you're a Jersey girl. <laughs> in all the good ways, right? <laughs> well, um, you could say that. Um, there, there are on occasions, uh, Kate Clunk will look at me and say, oh my goodness, you just went Jersey on them. Um, and so I, I reserve that for moments when it's most necessary um, in heated battles to uh-huh. defend the people who've sent me to Harrisburg to be their voice and make sure that their will is done in the state capitol. Well, so tell me about growing up in, in New Jersey, uh, family, uh, what, what your parents did, and then we'll get to what uh, brought you to, to York County. I know you've been here for a number of decades, so this is home now, but uh, tell me about home in, in Camden. Um, so I was, I was born in Camden, New Jersey. Funny story, uh, went on Face the State. Tony May was still the Democrat commentator, and uh, after the first time I ever, had ever filmed that show, he looked at me and he said, you're from Camden, New Jersey? And I said, looked at him and said, do you have a problem with that? <laughs> I think it was implied that I don't look like I was uh, born in, okay. in, uh, in Camden. So um, my parents um, were both raised in the city. Um, and uh, I, I really had a quite an idyllic childhood. Um, but, you know, my parents were... Um, both from families that worked hard, had a lot of love, um, and were of, of very limited means. Um, and my, my mom's family in particular really financially struggled. Um, and, and I think that has been pretty informative in my life and mm-hmm. in my service in, in that um, there was always an emphasis on two things, hard work and education, uh, because that's really what helped to lift my mother's family out of poverty. And what, what did your parents do uh, when you were growing up? How so, were they employed? Um, my father actually um, went to school in a uh, little college in Wilmore, Kentucky on an athletic scholarship. And uh, he became a teacher. And um, he was offered a job with 3M. And my mother refused to leave her family. So um, he went into education, uh, taught in a, a variety of different schools um, from really rural um, small school districts 
back to the city of Camden and eventually finished up in the town that, that I was raised in, and that was Cinnaminson. And if you stood on the steps of the diner in Cinnaminson, you could see the skyline of, of Philadelphia. Uh-huh. And so your father was a teacher? Did Dad you, was a teacher, uh-huh. um, was, was very active with his association. My mom was a uh, school district uh, superintendent's secretary. Um, and, uh, you know, um, all of, all of the Phillips cousins and, and the, uh, Brown cousins for the most part, um, went into public service, whether in the ministry, um, military, um, and I'm the black sheep because I went into politics and, <laughs> and I'm the only Republican. So, uh, so, so, uh, your, your, your dad's a teacher. What did he teach? Uh, what subjects? So, um, he taught a variety of different subjects, uh, biology, um, health, and physical education. Okay. And he coached as well. Okay. Love so. it. Love it. Uh, my passions of, uh, as well in coaching uh, school. Um, so so my, your mom, uh, what did she work outside the home and brothers and sisters? Uh? So um, my mom uh, had worked at the law school at Rutgers in Camden until we were born. She was a stay-at-home mom, and, and she was she she always had some kind of side job going on. She was the secretary to the director of New Jersey Boys State. Um, she actually did a lot of work for a large insurance company. Um, back in the 70s, there were some mandates that were put on businesses in Philadelphia um, on who they hired, um, and work wasn't getting done, so... Um, a, a good friend of the family, um, actually, she got paid on the side to do work that wasn't getting completed in the office. Hmm. So uh, you, you mentioned that you're the only Republican in your family. Uh, so what, were politics a big part of uh, your family meals? Did they talk about politics? Where, where did you get the bug to go into politics? So I'm told that um, there, it's a recessive gene. Um, that, uh, you know, my, my grandfather was actually a labor union organizer. Um, uh, my grandmother was a Republican. It was the only thing they argued about, but for the most part, um, <laughs> uh, my grandmother Phillips and I are probably the black sheep of the family. Um, and, uh, they, they talked about politics. I often joke that there's really not anything that my Democrat colleagues can throw at me that I haven't already had to argue over uh, the Thanksgiving dinner table. So uh, it was great preparation for the legislature. Uh-huh. And uh, uh, siblings? Uh, did you I have ha- one brother. Okay. Um, he uh, served in the United States Air Force, mm-hmm. uh, retired from the Air Force in May of 2016. Um, and uh, his wife, after being dragged to many um, luxurious <laughs> accommodations in such magnificent places as Grand Forks, North Dakota, mm-hmm. and Cheyenne, Wyoming. Um, they moved back to uh, near her hometown in Ocean City, New Jersey. Okay. So um, that's kind of a, a, a benefit. Um, if we ever get a budget done this summer, um, we might actually uh, get to see the ocean. So. Well, very good. So, so uh, you mentioned growing up in a, a Democratic family. Yeah. Um, so I assume that that was on your birth certificate, uh, right, <laughs> and uh, being in New Jersey. Um, that's right. So uh, at what point did you uh, have this uh, transition or epiphany or whatever you might call right. it? Uh, that you said, you know what? Uh, that's not really where I'm at. Yeah, so, um, you know, that was one of those tough things. Um, Like, uh, I think a lot of um, very famous uh, elected 
individuals, um, President Reagan, President Trump, um, Condi Rice, Mike Pence, uh, the list goes on and mm -hmm. on. You know, you, you want to be respectful and, and honor your parents. Um, and it, it took me a long time to get to that point. Um, I, I think what I did in the in the in the at the ballot box was was different than um, what my identification said on my voter <laughs> so registration So you were in the card. in the closet uh, pulling the lever and not right. letting people know exactly. Uh, and and it's funny that you say that. Um, one of the dearest uh, people in my life was my uncle Russ, my father's best friend um, and he had a, a great story he was um, a, he was an orphan um, he lost his parents uh, was in the Girard College for boys mm. in Philadelphia until mm -hmm. his sister got married and she could um, take him out and he dropped out of high school joined the army um, and eventually started a very successful machine shop and um, good memories of metal scraps on the floor you know um, but he said to my aunt I really think she's a Republican um, and he he was passed and uh, she said to me your uncle always said you're really a Republican you just haven't figured it out yet so. now I know there's a guy who came into the picture uh, you know nearly 30 years ago I guess um, and uh, that uh, pulled you out of uh, New Jersey. Um, it did. And uh, you ended up uh, in Washington, D.C. for a bit, uh, working for a Democratic senator, Senator Frank Lautenberg. Yes. Well, that, that is correct. <laughs> um, I uh, went to Washington, D.C. for a weekend with my, my roommate um, and quite by accident met my husband. And that was in January of uh, 1989. And... Um, it was, I would say, in hindsight, love at first sight, um, and had uh, been offered a job in management training with the Port Authority of New York and New Jersey, and was on the verge of accepting that job. Mm. And uh, my husband said to me, he said, you should move down here. And I said, mm, why would I want to do that? And, and he said, well, you could move in with me. And I said, mm, no, I don't think so. Um, <laughs> You know, uh, not without a significant commitment from you. Um, so in April, we were engaged. Um, and in January of 1990, we were married. So um, I went down. Uh, I think I had $500 in my bank account, a little Datsun B210, a computer and the clothes in my closet. And um, started applying for jobs and applied for uh, several jobs. Had interviews with Marge Rockma, who was... Republican Congresswoman from New Jersey and um, Senator Frank Lautenberg and um, Lautenberg made the offer first and I accepted uh -huh. and um, you know it was it was really interesting because um, I think I started to have those inklings that I probably was a Republican I mean luckily for me um, the issue that I worked the most on was um, basically defending the Constitution and assuring that um, the Interstate Commerce Clause was not breached and that New Jersey businesses could continue um, to engage in interstate commerce, mm. um, mostly around um, the disposal of, of trash. Mm -hmm. um, and uh, it, was, it was sort of, I think, the beginning. And, and there were a lot of other moments along the path of uh, getting to this point, um, you know, my husband worked for the Defense Department, and um, we they moved us around quite a bit. And um, 
I made the decision. Well, we made the decision. I think I made the decision and he agreed to it. Um, <laughs> but that I, you know, I wanted to stay home mm-hmm. and, and raise our kids. We have three children and um, they're, I think they're pretty wonderful. Um, I didn't always think they were wonderful. <laughs> they're not perfect for sure. But um, in order to do that, you know, we, we made a lot of financial sacrifices mm-hmm. and um, it was, it was challenging. And I think, you know, I met Ivanka Trump um, when she was here campaigning for her dad and she talked about the challenges women face in finding childcare. And, and, you know, for me, I didn't want to put my children in childcare. I wanted to be home raising them. And that was really the impetus to start my small business. Mm. Right. So that, um, I wanted to financially contribute to the well-being of our family. Um, and so that's really what spurred me. But in that, you know, just being really active and involved with our children's education, there was a, a redistricting proposal for the community that we lived in. And I, I can remember it like it was yesterday. I can even remember what I was wearing that night. And I'm sitting in the audience and I'm listening to a woman who lived in a, a public housing community and um, she got up and she said she didn't want the attendance lines to change and that she had lived in this community in this public housing community for 27 years and I can just remember leaning my head over and almost lifting up a prayer saying dear God forgive us because we have failed her, right? And, and I have, a, I have a, a family that came out of poverty, and I'm thinking, this, this could have been us, mm-hmm, right? Mm-hmm. And we have had decades of social welfare programs that have not lifted families up, that have not empowered them, that have not given them the skills to have the opportunity, right? We, we talk about life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. Pursuit of happiness meant the opportunity for you to go and find mm-hmm. your success. And, and we have bonded them, chained them to dependency on government. And they can't pursue the, the American dream of home ownership. And they can't have the dignity of providing a roof over their children's head and, and food on their table and clothes on their back. And we have failed. Mm-hmm. We have so, failed. So your first elected office uh, was to the school board, it Dallas was. Town, uh, back in uh, 2011. Right. Uh, not that long ago, but it probably seems like a long time ago right. and now right. as you reflect on it. Uh, of course, that uh, pushed you into a lot of the education uh, policy issues. Yeah. Um, what, what do you see as uh, what ails our, our public education system? I mean, Pennsylvania's top 10 and per pupil expenditure Um, so uh, we're we're spending quite a bit in education it is lumpy right in that that some some school districts get a lot more uh, others get less Um, uh, do we have an underfunding problem in Pennsylvania are there schools that uh, don't have enough money Uh, or what 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 do you see are the real challenges in education how long do we have on this podcast (laughs) Um, so yeah so I saw a seat on the school board in large part because I was looking at how much our local property taxes were being raised, Mm -hmm. talking to neighbors who were really concerned about being able to afford to stay in their homes, Mm -hmm. um, and looking at the results of 
what my children were receiving in the school. And I had the sense that we could be more um, fiscally responsible, um, be more respectful of the people who pay the bills, and continue to provide a high-quality education with a good outcomes mm-hmm. for our students. That's important. And Both you're, of those you're coming, are and you're. Uh, I'm thinking back in in ten or uh, and eleven. Uh, this is when we're seeing dramatic spikes in the pension costs, right? Correct. Uh, Correct. And so school boards are are panicking right. uh, over these incredibly increasing right. uh, costs to and, taxpayers. And bad decisions made in Harrisburg yeah. by by Republicans and Democrats. Right. You know, there's there's no one who can claim that that they didn't have some part in this, and. Um, you know, and school districts have spending problems. And, and you know, I know that's one of those, like, buzz. Throwaway lines, right? Yeah. yeah. Oh, yes. Yeah. School, yeah. school districts have spending yeah. problems, right? So there's all these mandates that come down to them from Harrisburg. There's all these bad decisions that have been made with regard to pensions. Mm-hmm. Um, and there are really pricey propositions that we have to contend with, right? Um $700 million a year in prevailing wage costs for school districts. $700 million mm-hmm. that we spend that doesn't improve the quality of the education or go into a child's classroom. Well, and just to, for, for those that understand, prevailing wage is a, as a, an arbitrary, uh, well, somewhat arbitrary, but an inflated price that you have to pay uh, for labor costs. Right, because uh, we're replacing a public the roof. entity. That's right. So. Right. Replacing so, a roof or anything. Paving had, a parking yeah. lot, right? There's a car dealership that's right next door to one of our elementary schools. They have about the same amount of paved space. If that car dealership wanted to have their parking lot paved and the school district wanted to have the parking lot paved using the same company, the same materials, the same workers, everything is the same. The school district will pay 25% more simply because it's a taxpayer-funded job, mm-hmm. Right. That's not improving the quality of yeah. the education those children are receiving. So Those are fewer dollars that could go into education correct. rather than a parking lot. Correct. And, you know, there's a, a threshold. It's $25,000. That was set. I'm 52 years old. That was set in 1965 when I was born. Uh-huh. Um, so When you could buy a house for $25,000. Um, when you could buy a house for even less than that. Yeah. I believe my parents' first house, I, I believe, was 13000 And it was a lovely little Cape Cod, uh-huh. right? Um, so yeah, you could buy a, a house for a, a fairly small amount of money, um, and we've not kept that up with inflation. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, but there are so many things that Harrisburg can do better mm-hmm. for school districts to help assure that they don't have to pass those costs on. And then there's the funding formula issue. Um, School districts in York County have grown dramatically. At the same time, the amount of aid per pupil has gone down. Um, we need to true up the formula. We need to uh, pull those mandates off well, did, of them. Well, did the, uh, the the formula that was passed a number of years ago just for new dollars coming in, does Correct. that uh, uh, begin to solve that problem if we just applied it to 100% of education funding? Um, so there will be winners and losers okay. if we do that. And I think, you know, uh, we didn't get there overnight. I, I think 
the difficult thing is weaning those dependent school districts off of state yeah. dollars, right? Meaning so, those that are losing students but still keep getting uh, more and more money every correct. year. And there are school districts. You know, Dave Reed invited me out to Indiana County. Mm -hmm. I'm not sure who had the more eye-opening experience, whether it was the residents of Indiana County hearing what I had to say or me <laughs> listening to them. But there's this great sense of entitlement. 45 to 70 percent of all of their school district's funding comes from the state. They don't have a tax property tax problem. And and finally, in exasperation, I said, my goodness, it must be so nice to live in such high cotton. You know, and I sure do hope that you're building lovely retirement communities because after my constituents have to pay high state taxes to fund your children's education, they then have to turn around and pay high local property taxes to fund our children's education, and they can't afford to stay mm -hmm. in their homes. So, um, you know, one of the myths, there's a lot of myths in Harrisburg, right? One of the myths was the Corbett education cuts. Yeah. You know, so let's just clear that one off the table. Tom Corbett did not cut education money. Um, the president at the time reduced the amount of federal funding. And by the way. Well, they just stopped the printing presses, the fake money right, that uh, right. was, was it, being printed in Washington, D.C. Or that, D. that C., fake yeah. money was going other places. Yes, right, it right. wasn't coming to school districts. But, you know, um, that was one of my other eye-opening experiences when I got up and just called it for what it was and had the letter that was sent to my school district that, from the governor saying, do not use this. Governor Rendell. It yes. was Governor Rendell, yeah, right? Yeah. Do not use this money for recurring costs yeah, right and um, that was when I learned how the folks on the other side really don't want to talk about the truth with yeah. regard to that and they attempted to shut me down mm. on the house floor so mm -hmm. well yeah. I know that uh, you uh, uh, as a legislator you've uh, tackled a, a couple of things in education and one in particular is the issue of ghost teachers or no-show right. teachers or essentially uh, taxpayers funding uh, the the work of unions uh, in their own school district, right. um, the the city of Philadelphia or the the school district of Philadelphia, I think allows upwards of 63 teachers that uh, can come out of the classroom, go to work for the union, uh, retain seniority, uh, accrue pension benefits, uh, essentially remain a public employee, but do full-time work for the union. I know that the president of the Philadelphia Federation of Teachers, uh, Jerry Jordan, uh, hasn't been in the classroom since I was a senior in high school. Right. It's, uh, been, but, it's yeah. been over 30 years. <laughs> yeah, but, yeah. Can, but could go back into the classroom, have his seniority displace other teachers, has accrued pension benefits, uh, remains on all, I mean, so you have a bill that right. would uh, uh, prohibit this practice, correct? Correct, correct. And it's it's really, it's criminal. And this practice has gone on for decades, mm -hmm. for decades. And you know, um, it, it's criminal because it really is shortchanging children. And children in a school district that in my tenure in Harrisburg has constantly come to Harrisburg to say, we don't have, we have enough, enough money, money. Yep. we yep. don't have enough teachers, um, we we can't do what we need to do, um, and then turns around and says that this practice is, is not only legitimate, but endorses it and funds it. Um, and so uh, we have seen this practice in other school districts as well, I believe up in Reading. Reading, mm -hmm. um, Allentown. And, and mm -hmm. Allentown, and, um, you know, to the credit of there have been some great journalists who've worked on this, um, some some folks at watchdog.org 
um, who've reached out to me and, and we've been able to share information and, and help sh shine light mm -hmm. on this practice, which, you know, I don't think anyone, a Democrat or Republican, can say that it is a good use of taxpayer funds right. to have teachers outside of the classroom not improving the education of children. Well, and going to work for a private organization, of course, that right. is lobbying for more taxpayer money. Uh, right. If there isn't a conflict of interest, and yeah, there have been some school districts that because of your efforts on this and the highlighting of it, have changed their practices. Right. Uh, and even some pension benefits have been uh, uh, rejected uh, because they weren't paying into the system, but someone, the uh, Allentown uh, president uh, of the union, was accruing pension credits uh, while nobody was paying into the system. So, exactly. Uh, and that system, of course, uh, PSERS, Public School Employees Retirement System, uh, is uh, we, we haven't solved that problem. Uh, the liabilities are growing. And there's another um, actual private entity that has been benefiting from it, the Pennsylvania School Boards Association. I know you've got uh, a bill addressing that. Has it? Where, where does that stand? So right now, um, that, that your bill would one would uh, remove them from the pu the, the public correct. system, correct? And they'd have to, as a private association, be in their own pension system, correct? Correct. So this was one of those issues that was brought to light when I was a school board director, and actually worked to get language for that organization to lobby the legislature to change that system. So, you know, you're sitting there going, so this entity lobbies the legislature, mm -hmm. has a PAC that provides campaign contributions to legislators <laughs> and is in the state pension system. And you just and, are shaking And they're head. a private organization. Correct. So they're not public employees, but they're in the public pension system. Because in 1940, 47, I believe, um, a decision was made that because school districts paid dues to this organization, they extended the, the concept that mm -hmm. they were a public entity. And we know that they're not. Right. Um, and even they say it's hypocritical yeah. for them to be in, in the state pension system. Um, right now, Senator Fulmer has a bill uh, that has moved. It's coming over to the House. I have a bill that moved last year. It's over in the Senate. It doesn't really matter to me which bill crosses the finish line. We just need, need to, to get have it across the a finish bill line, yeah. to cross the finish line. And, and this actually spurred an even uh, deeper dive into the state pension system and who's in the pension system and why they're in the mm -hmm. pension system. And uh, what we found is... Pennsylvania School Boards Association is not the only entity that doesn't make sense being in a state pension system. We found out that a lot of these multi-state and federal government commissions, the Susquehanna River Basin Commission comes to mind, um, is also in the state pension system. So you have an entity, a multi-state entity with the federal government that is not solely responsible hmm. to the people of Pennsylvania, that we're also providing pensions to their employees. And that's not right. Uh, Representative Will Tallman has a bill to uh, pull them out of the state pension system as well. So there's some comprehensive reform that needs to take place mm -hmm. on our pension system. And I don't think anyone believes that it is appropriate for non-public employees to be in a public pension system. Mm -hmm. Well, hopefully we can get that done because I don't think that that's a defensible position. No. And our uh, liabilities continue to go up despite 
uh, the reforms that were passed, which were good, uh, uh, certainly not the the expansive and comprehensive that Governor Wolf vetoed back in 2015. Right. Um, and, uh, uh, of course, I, I don't think he wants to touch it anymore, given uh, his biggest funders coming from the public sector unions that want to defend uh, the, these pension costs. Now, the, the issues that you've worked on in the 93rd legislative uh, district for the House, you hope to take on as the senator from the Senate uh, 30, I'm sorry, 28th uh, uh, senatorial district. Uh, you had a contested primary uh, and, and you have a challenger in November. Um, should you get uh, elected as a senator, what are some of the other issues that uh, you want to continue to work on? I, I know you see natural gas while you don't have any drilling uh, in York County. You do see this as an important uh, statewide issue and an impact not just on Pennsylvania, but really our country. Uh, we've talked a little bit about that, but explain why you think that this is something that we really need to care about. You know, the natural gas industry and the energy sector here in Pennsylvania is really a vitally important industry. Um, and and I, when we talked earlier, shared the story, um, our, our neighbor's son was a... Dallastown grad, great wrestler, uh, went to West Point and um, made the ultimate sacrifice. Um, I think it's probably very appropriate that we're sitting here on the, the verge of Memorial Day weekend to talk about um, this young man, uh, exceptional young man, and he gave his life. Um, and in, in large part, um, I believe that the natural gas industry has not just helped spur Pennsylvania's economy, our country's economy, but it has provided um, national security. Um, we have had to fight a lot of wars in the Middle East because we have to assure that we have a reliable energy source to keep our nation moving and going and um, that we've been able to do that, that we look at a future where we don't have to sacrifice our best and our brightest on the battlefield because we can be energy independent. Um, that's pretty amazing. Mm -hmm. It's really pretty amazing. Um, and, you know, I... I mean, I, so what do you hear from uh, uh, your constituents right. who don't see drilling? I, I mean, it, it, in parts of the state, they think that this is a, a public resource and that we should be taxing it more on top of what we already tax it uh, with the right. impact fee. And that's that's yeah. another one of those myths. Yeah. I think that um, they don't give enough. I, we... We've had an unusual circumstance in, in the southern part of the 93rd district where um, PJM has issued an RFP. Um, they are looking. PJM, um, RFP. Yeah, yeah. yeah, I know. I know. Get really wonky <laughs> on you. So it's the Pennsylvania, New Jersey, Maryland. Um, they, the grid they for operate all. The yep. grid yep. That, that all of our states utilize. And, um, you know. PJM's charge was to provide adequate energy mm -hmm. to those areas. And, and they're also now looking at providing lower cost energy to those areas. And, and we recognize lower cost is important, but um, the process and what has transpired down on the southern end of my district has, has been sort of a, um, a little out of the usual um, in that uh, they are looking to take private property, um, which I think, you know, from a constitutional perspective, mm -hmm. any time that government 
allows for the taking of an individual's private property, there really has to be a lot of, of safeguards in that process. And I don't think we've adequately provided those safeguards for these residents in that um, there is existing capacity along existing transmission lines, and there's some abandoned rights of way that could be utilized. Um, and then the added concern that I have is that a lot of the land that's being proposed to be taken to site these transmission lines is taxpayer-preserved farmland, and the taxpayer wouldn't adequately be compensated for its loss of its investment into preserving mm. that farmland. Um, and I think that that's not appropriate either. So, so trying to keep a balance of property rights, uh, the absolutely. powers of eminent domain, uh, that government has been known to abuse them, right. uh, and the just compensation for those that lose their property. I think that these are all, uh, were these the things that you expected no. to be tackling <laughs> no, never. when you ran? No. And, and you know, that's that's a really important part of the job. You you can have these preconceived notions, right? Like when, when your children came into the world, you I imagine my daughter was going to be a ballerina and she was going to play the piano and, and she played soccer and played the drums. You know, so you, <laughs> you have these preconceived notions. I never envisioned that I would be out in front um, standing with with the people I represent um, before the PUC on a power line issue. I, I also didn't envision myself becoming an advocate for trying to create an environment where private sector companies could invest in deploying um, broadband resources and internet access into the rural parts of 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 my district but that's what people need and that's really your job as a representative is you are the people's voice you have to make sure that their views and values infuse everything that you do in the state capitol um, we talk about regulatory reform and i know yeah. we talked earlier about well how do you make regulatory reform um, resonate with the yeah. average person, the person who's sitting over at the next table here in this diner with us. And yeah, why would they care about regulate? That that sounds right. like kind of a rich guy problem, right? Right. Uh, right. My trash business is overregulated, right? I mean, we've heard right. this, but so how does that affect you know the people sitting here so in this diner? There are over 153,000 regulations on the books in Pennsylvania, and it impacts individuals. It impacts businesses large and small it impacts local governments and anytime anything impacts a local government the bill ultimately comes back to yeah. you the local taxpayer and and you know recently, I always say only people pay taxes you know businesses right. don't uh, uh, your property my house doesn't pay my property taxes I do right so Correct. ultimately all these things get passed on to people listen when I owned my small business um, I passed all the costs Mm -hmm. that I incurred along in the cost of the commodity that I was selling, right? That's what every business yes. does. So, you know, sit on the House Education Committee. The House and Senate Education Committees had a joint hearing on the recent report that was issued about the PASHI system of higher education, the state this system, the Millersville, state system Shippensburg, yep. Westchester, Kutztown, right? And and it's failing. It's it's financially struggling. Mm -hmm. We have significant challenges. And, and college affordability is something that impacts almost every family, if not your child, your grandchild, your niece, your nephew. That report identified state regulations as one of the cost drivers that is driving all of these problems in the state system of higher so education. So your tuition is going up because Correct. of regulation is what they're, they're saying. And they offered five different solutions 
to fix what's ailing mm. them. And each and every one of those options included regulatory reform and rescinding regulations to help them financially uh, so that we can continue to provide an affordable, accessible education to every child in the Commonwealth. And, and you're not suggesting that all regulation ought to be wiped away, but that there, there are legitimate uh, things that we need to hold people accountable. But uh, are you saying that we are over-regulating and that there is just too much uh, government uh, involvement in these decisions? Absolutely. And and it it stretches from, you know, the regulations that we put on every from businesses where people braid people's hair to the municipal water system that your community runs so that you have safe and adequate drinking water. Um, and there are certainly some regulations that we need to have, right? Mm -hmm. We all want to drink clean water. Right. We all want to breathe clean air. Um, we all want to make sure that, you know, when we go to the physician, that everything's sterilized appropriately. I We get that. Yeah. Um, but... Of course, when you, when you start talking about rolling back regulation, the other side says, well, you don't you don't care about our water, our air, or, or safety. Um, so I... It's unfortunate we can't have that sort of a discussion of well, where we, we say we want reasonable regulation. It's right. the unreasonable things. There should be agreement that this is hindering and hurting people. Well, and, and I likened it to spring cleaning of our regulatory mm. structure here in Pennsylvania. And I talked about my grandmother who was she was an ardent advocate of spring cleaning. And she <laughs> was very passionate about it. And she did it, you know, every spring. And um, basically... Our state's regulatory system has become the equivalent of extreme hoarding. We don't get rid of anything, right? Mm -hmm. You know, mm -hmm. we never rescind these <laughs> things. And you look at um, the Ridge administration issued an executive order that's still in place today where on the first Saturday in February and the first Saturday, I believe, in July, the governor's office has to issue a document that shows every regulation it is in the process of promulgating. And the last time I looked at it, there were over 252 regulations being promulgated and two being rescinded. So that kind of tells you it, it just becomes mm -hmm. an accumulation. And it's been under Democrats and Republicans, but it's time that we clean it up so that we can empower our, our businesses, individuals, local governmental entities, school districts, municipal water systems to be efficient, effective, um, and, and, and fiscally responsible. Mm -hmm. um, and, and regulations a lot of times become taxes. It's just another way to tax a, right. a, an entity. And, and we know that in Pennsylvania we are overtaxed and we are overregulated and we have infrastructure challenges. And those are all things that um, just make us not successful mm -hmm. right mm -hmm. and you have children i have three children i've lost one out of state i want the other two to stay here <laughs> and then that's that's very selfish yeah. but i know what's going to help every parent across york county and the commonwealth keep their children here is to grow this economy so that we have jobs that are family sustaining so that um you know our kids will will find this to be a great place to exercise their rights of life, liberty, and their pursuit of happiness.
So there's been a lot of conversation of how Pennsylvania's congressional delegation has no women, uh, that the Pennsylvania House and Senate have have underrepresented women uh, in, in public office. Seems that there's a lot of that's going to change uh, here in 2018 and even saw it even in 2017 where it was all females who right. won the seven statewide judicial races. It didn't matter party. Uh, it was gender that was the common denominator. Uh, what are your thoughts on the whole uh, kind of women in office? I mean, what's been your experience as a female in a really male-dominated uh, body, the House? Uh, and it will be similar in the Senate should you uh, the voters uh, choose to put you in that other House. Um, get, what, what, what's your take, Kristen? You know, I, I think that as women, we, we do have different life experiences, right? And that's a good thing. Mm-hmm. Um, and that we do bring a different perspective when we're having policy conversations. I sit on the House Health Committee, and we're talking about long-term care. I've helped take care of aging, ailing parents. So I have that firsthand experience. Um, and, and, you know, I've been the parent who's been at home raising kids and, and interfacing with um, education and and medical care Mm -hmm. and and all of those things so I do have a different perspective but I always hope I I want people to vote for me not because of my gender but because I work hard because I've done a good job representing them because um, I've been right on the issues because I've been a strong voice for them in Harrisburg Um, I think it's potentially dangerous to just elect someone because of their gender. Mm. Um, and you know, at times, you know, I was, I was the only Republican woman that stood up with the Democratic women to say, um, th- there's a cultural problem in Harrisburg with the way um, some men in power behave mm-hmm. and the way it's handled. Um, but my frustration is it seems to be that there are at times a litmus test, right? So um, if you don't meet certain uh, criteria, right, you, it's almost like you're not allowed in the club, right? So being a pro-life woman oftentimes means that we're excluded mm. from those conversations, whereas I think that's, that's really dangerous. There should be no litmus test, right? If you believe that every person should be treated with dignity and respect, if you believe that every taxpayer um, should not have to pay for the poor behavior of anyone in Harrisburg, then we should all be on board and, and work toward this. So um, I have found, I, I, I represent a county that has seven people in its state house delegation, and there are four women and mm. three men. Mm-hmm. People in your county, don't view gender as either an impediment or an asset. Mm-hmm. I think to the credit of York County voters, they really are looking at um, your record and what you've done and how you voted. And, and you know, when I ran um, in this election, um, I ran against a woman and I told them, you know, look at my record. Here's how I've stood for you. And and I, I will tell you, you know, and you may have a better uh, view of this than even I do. I, I think that I have a, a, a good record, a really strong record of standing up for taxpayers and standing up for the people of this community in Harrisburg. 
Um, and I, I, I would certainly agree with that. I think that the voters uh, have chosen well. Uh, and I, I do say this publicly, that I love the York delegation. Uh, the folks from York are just down to earth. Hard workers. I mean, you were part of that group of uh, legislators that last summer uh, said this budget is not good enough uh, when we didn't have one. Right. And got down uh, into the weeds, um, dove into the numbers, and found money that was uh, uh, already taxpayer-collected money that um, could be deployed to solve our budget problem and, in fact, was the counterpunch to what the Senate had taken the easy route of wanting to raise energy taxes. Uh, and it was really led by uh, York, uh, central part of the state. I know Dan Mao from, from Adams was a big part of that, but you were as well. Uh, and this was, uh, I think you had... Uh, quite a few folks from uh, York County that uh, led that fight. We did. We did. Um, and and I hope it. I hope it emerges here uh, as we approach June once again, uh, and uh, people start saying, "Well, we don't have enough money to meet all the things that we want to spend on." Um, so the question will come once again: Should we raise taxes? That Tom Wolf wants to impose a, a new and higher uh, tax on on natural gas. Or are there monies that uh, are sitting in, in currently uh, unspent funds that we ought to be utilizing? Uh, you've raised so many good points. <laughs> oh, my goodness. Um, I, I just but, tee them up for you because but, you've yeah. been tackling them. That's <laughs> um, And, and it, it was baptism by fire. Yeah. Welcome to the legislature. By the way, <laughs> the people who elected you also sent uh, the most liberal governor in the entire United States to Harrisburg and here's your first budget that you get to work on and by the way he's asking for the single largest tax increase in the history of the Commonwealth and if you add every other 49 states in this nation proposed tax increases up they don't equal <laughs> what this governor wants just for Pennsylvania mm -hmm. and you're going you've got to be kidding me right I'm, the people I represent are hard-working and they can't afford to give any more than they're already giving. Yeah. And I actually had a constituent who said to me, you know, I, I, I voted for him. And I turned to him and I said, can I ask you a question? What were you thinking? <laughs> and he said, sweetheart, I knew you would be up there defending my pocketbook. And I thought, well, I'm really glad he's got that much yeah, confidence right. in my abilities. But, you know, I'm one of 203 and he's got a bully pulpit up there. But it was a battle. Mm. I mean, it, it was mm -hmm. a battle. And, and I will remember, I will never, ever forget, December 23rd at 7 o'clock, I finally left that Capitol after I, I couldn't leave. And I, I just, I had to see how this was all going to play out. Seth Grove had two little ones at home. His wife needed him mm -hmm. um, at home. Um, Kate Clunk and I walked over. We sat in the gallery of the Senate with probably every other union lobbyist who was banking on these big tax yeah. increases coming their way. And, and Scott Wagner walked into the floor, and he is beat red, and, and his arms are, are moving rapidly, and I'm thinking, this is not good. This is not good. This is not good. <laughs> and then this vote goes up, and the budget that they've passed, the Senate passed what the House had sent over, mm -hmm. actually spent less than what we had originally sent over and I thought oh my gosh did I just see what I saw I, you know I was I was really really happy but it was it was a nine-month battle yeah. and it didn't have to be that way and then the next year 
governor comes back and he wants even more. And then last year, he came back and he wanted even more. And every time... I think time, a total of a dozen tax increase proposals that uh, that he has supported. And uh, certainly, uh, is I suspect if he's reelected, he'll be coming back uh, for more. So we defeated in three budget cycles over $13 billion in proposed taxes that would have hit hardworking Pennsylvanians. Mm -hmm. And you're absolutely right. If he is reelected, um, our job as legislators will be monumental. And, and I'm ready for the challenge, but I would really prefer <laughs> that we elect a governor who understands what needs to be done in this commonwealth and um, to put us on on a road to prosperity to make us financially viable and to to respect the hard-working people who pay our bills and that's our taxpayers um, you know Tom Wolf with with no potential of facing the voters again in re-election we know what he's going to want right. he's going to significantly want to expand and grow the size and scope of our government. Um, he's going to want more taxes. He's going to want more borrowing. It's going to lead to more debt and less opportunity for the people of Pennsylvania. And, you know, so I'm I'm supporting Scott Wagner. Um, and I believe that he has what it takes to, to fix Pennsylvania and put us on that path to prosperity. Well, interestingly, uh, we will have a governor from York uh, after November, no matter what. That's uh, right. And so I, I wish you well in, in your uh, efforts to uh, be elected to the, the state Senate. And I look forward to uh, continuing to work alongside you on important policy issues. So thank you, Kristen, for uh, joining me on Blues and Views. Thank you, Matt. You've been listening to Brews and Views, a production of Commonwealth Partners Chamber of Entrepreneurs. Find us on Facebook at Commonwealth Partners and follow Matt Briette at M-A-T-T-B-R-O-U-I-L-L-E-T-T-E. -T -T -E.